Hey everybody, welcome to Hit Rewind. I'm your host, Michael, and back with me is Rob. Hey! Back, back, back where I belong. <laughs> it's been a bit since we've done an action episode, and it's my fault, I think, with some of the delays, and, well, things happen. Whatever. <laughs> you, if you can't sit yeah. and wait around for us to talk about it, then forget you! <laughs> yeah, yeah, we've uh, uh, definitely been going through some shit, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Um, so we picked four in 1992 is a hard year to do as I cleared my throat there. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> so of the 1992 movies, we only can pick four. So it was really hard. So I think some of them we threw out was like, uh, lots of directed video action stuff that we love. Uh, we, uh, didn't choose Patriot games and there's a couple in there. I'm sure we forgot, but what we landed on was, uh, Passenger 57, Under Siege, Mission of Justice and Rapid Fire. Which would you like to start off with? Um, we could go in alphabetical order. So okay. that would be uh, Mission of Justice first. Okay. Yeah, uh, you and I had talked about getting a Jeff Wincott movie in here. we got to get a Jeff Wincott movie in here somewhere. And it's either this or uh, a Martial Outlaw. Because those are, I think, his two best. Yeah, yeah, most definitely. Especially Martial Outlaw. I love Martial Outlaw. That, that, that movie is a... Oh yeah well i think the the thing is that pierre david when he was supplying movies through his image organization to republic i think that's yeah. like the best that jeff wincott really was because he knew how to utilize them properly he gave decent budgets and 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 just they look better kurt anderson i believe is the one that directed this and he really had an eye for making something look good on a smaller budget oh yeah kurt curtis anderson is so underrated uh he did uh martial law 2 martial outlaw uh bounty tracker uh open fire which is an underrated uh, jeff wickard movie that doesn't get enough mention in in, in in you know my opinion uh also he is the actual director of one man's justice aka one tough bastard with brian bosworth which i believe comes as close to being just as great as uh stone cold I, the but the budget isn't as big, but it's a little more focused. Yeah, and uh, you got the. I always wondered if uh, I remember I wrote a review and I wondered if it was meant for like Jeff Wincott because it has the boss doing some real like slick martial arts stuff in there. So I wonder if it was meant for like Wincott or somebody else, and they, they just they couldn't get anybody, so they just got the boss. But like, I I love well, One Man's Justice. That movie's great. Especially with uh, my man Bruce Payne as the villain in there. Yeah. The uh, it, now I thought, well, this one says it was directed by Kurt Wimmer. It's his debut. Yeah, he worked on the movie for two weeks and then he was fired, and then Kurt Anderson took over. Oh, oh, cause DGA rules. Okay, that's yeah. So yeah, he had in his contract that he'd be the credited director, but it was Kurt Anderson who directed uh, basically the whole thing. Yeah, I was just looking through some of the stuff because I feel like. Uh, Bosworth, we're getting off track here, but Bosworth is one of those guys that if he had the right director, he could steer in the right direction. But it just seems like after this, maybe Blackout, uh, no one knew what the hell to do with him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, uh, he ended up doing a lot of just you know trash stuff, and it's unfortunate. But uh, at least we got Stone Cold and One Man's Justice out of him. Yeah. Um, yeah, this is really like the pinnacle for... Um, Jeff Wincott, and I think like the other companies, didn't he sign with PM after this? Yeah, he did a few PM movies after that. 
Yeah, those are okay, but they just don't hit that that peak, and I think kind of faded. The, the, the whole martial arts boom that started around with, you know, Bloodsport and Above the Law in 88 kind of started to fade out around 96, 97, because then they started wanting more special effects, and then they wanted action movies that incorporated martial arts instead of just being martial arts movies. I also think that, uh, you know, after Rumble in the Bronx debuted it, you know, with Jackie, people were just looking more for that style of martial arts and, you know, that kind of basic choreography that you'd find in Jeff Wincott movies and Van Damme movies just, you know, didn't feed the, 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 the appetite, you know, of, for, for, for the audience anymore. They, they wanted more of that Jackie Chan style choreography. So, like, those kind of, like, movies like, uh, like for instance, um, like, Don the Dragon Wilson movies where, like, you know, he would have that basic choreography. Um it just didn't work anymore unfortunately i yeah. mean i still rock with them but uh you know people wanted more well i feel like there's a period there where jeff amato was like in every other every one of those or um oh yeah the bad guy in karate kid or uh, the, the one that i don't like the american ninja five the one that's not actually an american ninja movie well who's the bad guy in that oh uh james lou James Liu, yeah. If you didn't see either one of those guys involved, you're like, mm, I don't know if it's going to be up to snuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Jeff Amata and James Liu and Al Leong, those were your your quality villains in a, in a martial arts action movie. Yeah, and, and this one has... There's a sequence in this that remind me a lot of Perfect Weapon, and it's not going to be the only movie that really had the whole, hey, let's enter the dojo to get some information, <laughs> let's kick some ass with some sticks and stuff like that, but... I think this one really challenges that movie for the best of those sequences. Oh, you're talking about the gauntlet sequence? Yes. Oh, yeah. That, that is an all-timer sequence. Like, my man Jeff Wincott just beating the shit out of, like, 20 dudes for, like, five minutes. It's just, it's glorious, glorious action. And, 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 and it's, it's really impressive, too, because he had to do the Kali-style um, of fighting with the, with the sticks. And he only really learned how to use them like 45 minutes before they shot that scene wow um yeah and like they had to show him real quick uh, how to use that stuff and and he, he looks amazing using them sticks and stuff and he just he was just full throttle with them joints and just you know he was the way he whips those kicks around is just glorious like yeah that's an all-timer sequence right there yeah, and we have uh, Bridget Nielsen no longer being uh, <laughs> prompted up, you know, propped up by. I don't think she's that bad, but we know Stallone's the one who really helped get her career going. And uh, this is kind of like that that she disappeared. It seems like for a few years, and then this is kind of like, well, I guess I got to work. So she started doing like these streak of directed video movies. This is probably the best of the bunch. Yeah, yeah, that and uh, was the other one the. the futuristic with the sci-fi one galaxis oh okay yeah yeah um, i was trying to remember the name of that one because that one had really good that's like the last good practical effects like all old school practical effects no cg whatsoever yeah 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 that, that, i like that one a lot I, I know i've seen it i think on tubi under another name and i'm like the fuck is this this is galaxis this isn't this bullshit yeah And uh, Karen Shepard's in this, and I don't recall what else she's been in, but she's really good. Yeah, she was. Um, she made her debut in uh, the UNBL film Above the Law, where she fought uh, Cynthia Rothrock, who was her real-life rival uh, in, in martial arts tournaments, because they both uh, um, did uh, forms and, uh, and weapons. Mm-hmm. And, and Karen Shepard was, like, you know, the champ long-running, and 
Cynthia Rothrock was like challenging her for it, like you know, up and coming being the best. So like they had a, like actually an actual rivalry uh, when they made uh, Above the Law, uh, Writing Wrongs, and um, it actually spilled in t- into the filming of that because Cynthia said that she was kind of mean to me when we shot that. <laughs> and, uh, she refused to get killed off by me because she felt it would hurt her reputation. So they actually had to film her running away. Uh, like, you're like, yeah, she got away. And then after she was off the set, they filmed her death with, uh, <laughs> with, a, with a stunt person. That but, sounds um, like some Seagal shit with Machete. <laughs> yeah, like, the, 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 the funny thing about Mission of Justice and Karen Shepard, because as, as we know, it was supposed to be Martial Law 3. And, and I know that there's some... Um, uh, places where it's still called Martial Law 3 but it's like they couldn't get Cynthia back so they got a Karen Shepard and they just decided to call it Mission to Justice and make it its own movie which I find weird because they replaced um, uh, uh, Chad McQueen with Jeff Wincott for Martial Law 2 and that was fine but they drew the line at Cynthia well, we couldn't get Cynthia back, so I was like, well, let's just call it something else. Yeah, and then the next year, it's a Martial Outlaw, which is clearly another entry in, in the series, and yeah, yeah. they didn't have to deal with it. Well, I don't think Karen comes back for that one either, right? So it's just him and um, Gary Hudson, I think? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But, uh, like, I, yeah, I, I love Karen in the movie, like, because um, with, like, compared to Cynthia, Cynthia has a more, like, graceful... Uh, fighting style where Karen is more aggressive mm-hmm. like her, her her big fight scene at the end with the with the other lady is just like you know really aggressive style fighting like they're kicking the shit out of each other and, and, and that's all thanks to the, the, the choreography of Jeff Pruitt because Jeff Pruitt was like really incredible at putting together these fight scenes but uh, yeah I love I loved Karen in the movie like Karen should have been a way bigger star than you know than she was yeah and I just, uh, it's kind of disappointing. I, I assume, what was two years ago that the uh, Martial Law 1 and 2 came out? Two or three years ago from Vinegar Syndrome? Yes. And I told you. <laughs> I bet you the Martial Law and Mission of Justice are coming next. Nope. No, 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 no. Like, that, 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 that was a shame. And, and, you know, we'll see. We'll see what happens. But, uh, you know, we, we didn't get them as a follow-up, either either movie, yeah. to uh, Marsh, the, the release of Martial Law 1 and 2. At least we got writing wrongs on Vinegar. That's true. I haven't, I've never actually seen that, so I need to see it. Which one? I've never seen uh, writing wrongs. Oh, writing wrongs is, is great. It's it's also the depressing movie. Like it's a it's a bummer of a movie. So if like it, it, it's an all timer action movie, but um, uh, it, it it is not fun. Like it, like you will not leave that movie happy. Okay. Like, if you if, if you watch, especially if you watch the original cut, like it's it's just fucking bummer <laughs> alright so that is our first film our second film will be only the, my alphabetical chart says Passenger 57 <laughs> I kept looking at the floor going what's oh yeah first Passenger um, Passenger 57 is not held up as high as the other diehard kind of influence movie of that time period it is yeah. so much better than Under Siege in my opinion yeah it's funny enough too because it's kind of the first diehard clone um, At least the one in before. theaters, because I feel like there was there was a Michael Pere Shannon Tweed movie. I cannot remember the name, which was in a high rise building. Oh, um, the last hour. Yes. Yeah. Well, did that come out before Passenger Fifty Seven? Let me look uh, while we're talking. Let's, let me uh, see, because I feel like that came about about a year before that. But 
I, I just watched Pastor 57 again, and at no point, you know when you're younger, you just don't think about budgets of movies? And I looked, and it was like a $12 million movie, and I was like, holy crap, how did they, oh man, they're so efficient. And I think a lot of it is um, the director, uh, uh, Kevin Hooks. Thank you, I almost said Kyle something. Uh, Kevin Hooks came from television, so he knows how to shoot fast. Plus, if you do look, there's not a lot that they had to build and you know blow up and whatever, and, and lots of action sequences or renting out like a huge, you know, uh, ship like the way Under Siege did and stuff like that. Um, yeah. But I think the, the movie is actually way shorter than I expected too. It's like 72 minutes long if you take out the credits, and it's just yeah, yeah. it doesn't waste any time. And fucking Snipes shows up. Owning the whole movie, I mean, Bruce oh, Payne's yeah. Bruce Payne obviously is a great villain because you're only as good of a hero. Your hero is only as good as a villain, but Snipes uh-huh. just that—that's the star right there. I mean, yes, he had a couple hits before this, but this is like, nope, he's a leading man. No, you know, this is where we're going with him from now on. Yeah, like he had that one-two punch of uh, New Jack City and Passenger Fifty Seven. Uh, New Jack City shows how much, how great an actor he was. But Passenger 50, Passenger 57 really showed, like, yeah, this man is a fucking star right here. Like, you know, that affirmative hero, like, you know, just, you know, and then just that martial arts prowess he had. Like, you know, you know, we were all blown away, like, oh, my God, Wesley Snipes, we had no idea. Yeah. Which is, which is a beautiful thing. Like, you love it when, like, an actor shows off that he's a great physical performer and you never realize it before. And it's like, holy shit, this guy's great. And, like, yeah, that was a perfect storm for uh for snipes you know what i'm saying and like he just came in there he was kicking the ass you know what i'm saying and just like and then too because it was kind of like his his fighting style was so dynamic too like that's why he was he became so successful with the blade movies because you know he just had that just that wild and crazy beautiful fighting style um fucking just completely blows you away I mean, like, just absolutely blows you away. Yeah, like, the only person, doing in there. I think the only person we had seen move that fast before this was Speakman. Yeah, 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 yeah. The, you know, but Snipes also, what helped Snipes was that uh, he was also, like, a really good fucking actor. Yeah. Like, not, not, not to, you know, disregard uh, the acting talent of uh, Jeff Speakman. He had a natural charisma to him. But Snipes was just, uh, you know, an incredible actor, which, which he showed time and time again before, like I said, New Jack City, but also like Jungle Fever and, and all that stuff. So, you know, he had those two qualities to him to make him like the perfect action star, you know? Mm-hmm. I didn't know until just now that this was written by Stuart Raffle, who we discussed, I think, in the very first episode we ever did of this, is High Risk. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But I never ever hit those heights again because he didn't get to direct this, obviously. But he got to write it. He was, oh, it looks like he was too busy doing Tammy and the T Rex. <laughs> oh, lunatic oh, yeah. movie. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it wasn't as big, like I said, as Under Siege, especially internationally. This is back, and you can still say they still say this. But do you remember back in the day when they said you couldn't have a certain kind of lead because uh, it wouldn't sell internationally? I mean, all we really had was Eddie selling worldwide, and I think Wesley's like the only guy that really was able to sell action internationally that wasn't a white guy. Yeah, yeah, like yeah, that 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 is a real troublesome, you know, idea. Like it's still prevalent today. You know what I'm saying? 
this, this is like a lot of international territories are still on that bullshit, you know. But it, it is what it is, whatever. Yeah. But uh, I think yeah, this is my choice of the four movies. Well, no, I just remembered it. I remembered the next one. No, the next one's the best of the four. I think there's nothing, absolutely nothing, oh, like oh. Rapid Fire. Yeah, yeah, uh, Rapid Fire is one of my all-time favorite movies. Uh, I love that movie. To, to me, it's one of the best action movies ever made, especially being uh, like an American version of a Hong Kong action film. Yeah, I think it's the first time that we really had this, right? It, it like, Brandon was very insistent on having Hong Kong action influence. Um, he, he loved movies of Jackie Chan and John Woo, and, you know, those influences are apparent, especially, like, you know, I, I didn't know it at the time, but, like, you know, now I'm well-versed in Hong Kong action, and uh, you see the influence, like, definitely a lot of um, you know, hat tips to Jackie Chan action, especially in uh, the big climactic fight with uh, uh, Al Leong, which is like one of the great, which I think the the, the best uh, uh, fight scene of the '90s. Um, Brandon versus Al Leong it, it is so great. I even started a column on ActionFlix.com just to talk about that scene because <laughs> I, I think it's so great. Well, and I think a lot of it comes down to how it was, you know, how it was shot, edited, you know, the pacing of stuff. Because we're still talking at a time where they were using some cheats in some films, you know, speeding it up or doing chop-chop editing to, you know, take out a little bit of movement. But it never looked right. The only thing in this that may have a little bit of altering is, you know, the sequence where um, he flips backwards with the shotgun in his hands? I mean, that's almost impossible yeah. to do back before really wire food took over. I can see that being like the only real camera trickery where they sped it up a little bit and maybe took out some frames. Yeah. But it is, it is honestly, I think the smoothest, most well-designed, uh, well-shot action film from um, the American side uh, that I, I had seen yeah. for years. I mean, nothing really compared to this. Oh, yeah, most definitely. Most definitely, like, you know, that, that Hong Kong action style is readily apparent, you know what I'm saying, so it's all, you know, thanks to Hong Kong action that we got that film, and plus, also give credit to uh, Dwight Little, who directed it, um, Brandon actually wanted John Woo to direct it, but he declined because they, they wanted more of a martial arts action picture than he was willing to make, Okay. Um, he, he's, he, was, he was like, I made enough martial arts movies, I don't want to do pure martial arts movies. You know, he was more in the, you know, which is why he did uh, Hard Target, because that was more of, like, more shootouts than martial arts action. Um, so they got Dwight Little in. Dwight just absolutely nailed it. He nailed the style, the tone. And, I mean, like it, it, like you said, it's a slick fucking movie. You know, it, it's beautifully done. It, it's just, like, yeah, I, I can't sing the praises of Rapid Fire enough. In, in that movie. Yeah, well, Dwight Little, I think, is one of those guys that no one ever talks about. And he worked his way up through really small independent movies. And, you know, I think he did one of the, maybe the best Halloween sequel. And I know it's been erased numerous yeah. times, but part four is so atmospheric. It's so well uh, paced. And, and he, it's actually scary. And I think some of the murder sequences he sets up are unique to the franchise, where a lot of it, did, you know, it was always the knife, you know? And yeah, 
he would bounce around genres because if you look, he was doing, you know, he did the second Anaconda's movie, he did that political movie, uh, Murder at Sixteen Hundred, uh, the Tekken movie. You could give or take. I just, I still don't understand how it costs thirty million dollars. That sounds like some sort of lie. <laughs> but you know, and he, I think he did one of the Free Willy movies. I mean, this guy bounced around a lot and in every genre, and he always did a, a pretty damn good job. Yeah, it was Free Willy too. He did. Okay, um, I've never seen any of them, but yeah, if you can go, if you go from rapid fire to one of those, yeah, that's pretty fucking cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He he was always a, a really uh, slick director. Yeah, and I definitely agree with you. The Halloween, it's come to the Halloween sequel. Halloween Four is my favorite. Uh, I I love that movie so much, and I think he did in, in such an efficient job. It's basically Halloween on steroids. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> that that opening. That opening title sequence too is the best, like you know, visualization of the Halloween season. Like you know, in that in creating that spooky atmosphere that the movie uh, would, would excel at for the remainder of the the runtime. And uh, yeah, he he's amazing. Like too, too bad they fucked him over on Halloween Five. Yeah, God, we, you and I have huge I, I, issues I, I with Five. Never, There's some people who are all in I, I on all. Not shit on that movie. All of the Halloween movies. They're like, I love every single one. I'm like, meh. <laughs> I want justice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I just, I, yeah, we're off on a, a tangent here, but yeah, back to rapid fire though. Can we talk about Nick Mancuso's fucking ar, 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 chewy, the scenery, f- amazing performance? Holy shit! Yeah, yeah, Antonio Serrano. Uh, yeah, he is amazing. Like not amazing, amazing. Yeah. <laughs> well, and it's funny because it, it's. It's necessary to be the juxtaposition to uh, was his name's pronounced Zima, T Z I Ma uh, yeah, as Tao, um, because he's cool and calm and everything. So you know, as Serrano is like the exact polar opposite of him. Yeah, like like yeah, he like that uh, that differentiation between the two. Uh, like it also works too because well. Um, uh, uh, Chow, like the character that Zima plays, is kind of like at the height of his prowess, like, you know, in the underground, you know, he's, you know, he's the king on the streets, and like, Serrano's kind of on his way out, and, you know, like, you know, they say, Serrano's got dick, he's broke, all his guys are in the pen, he's weak, you know what I'm saying? And yeah. like, that, that shows, like, he's a desperate man, so like, he's just at the end of his rope, and he's just looking for a break. You know, when, when he starts this war between, you know, the, the, the mafia and, and the, the, the triads and all that stuff, and, you know, so, like, it's, it's, it's a really great scenery-chewing performance, um, you know, that you gotta think positive, you know? <laughs> the only time a guy doesn't want money, <laughs> you're sweating like a pig. I don't remember what that actor's name is, but I like watching that guy. Oh, uh, uh, Raymond J. Burry. That's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He just passed away recently. Oh, did he? That sucks. <laughs> yeah, but it's just like good doing business with you. I almost this last time I watched it, I go, "You're a fucking moron! Don't repeat it over and over. Just shut up and move on." Like they don't know. After say it once, maybe you can get away with it. But when you're on like the right. third or fourth time, it's <laughs> ass and get killed. Yeah, yeah, that, that nice doing business with you. Nice doing business with you. Like, like you, you, you're letting them. You're basically telling them without telling them that you're calling in for the cop. 
Cops. Yeah, and holy shit, all of a sudden we get Squib City. Whoever designed all those, man, people getting ripped apart. Not that I, it's it's fantasy, okay? Don't, it's not real life. So, uh, but the work that they did in that sequence and fucking taking people out, it looks so horrific. Like, whoa, fuck. That was an exceptionally choreographed and staged sequence. Like, you know, because you had all these layers. You know, you got Brandon fighting on one side. You got this shootout going out. Uh, like, you know, the guys shooting outside. You know, the cops shooting inside. And, you know, like. Like I, I can't even imagine what it took to plan that whole thing out. It must have took like weeks, months. Yeah, and to, especially like, for it not to look like visual mush. It. You know, it just it can look so shitty if you don't edit it right. Yeah, yeah, most definitely. Um, and of course we have Powers Booth, rest in peace, uh, just being the hard nose, you know, hand me your badge kind of guy that was so prevalent in those. But this is the first time I've seen like one of those tough guys actually get in on the action. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I love Powers Booth in this movie. I just love Powers Booth, period. I know we talked about it before when we discussed uh, Southern Comfort, yeah. um, you know, a uh, bunch of episodes back. Um, yeah, man, his loss was such a, you know, fucking major one for me. I love Powers Boost and, like, everything. Like, Southern Comfort, Extreme Prejudice, uh, this, uh, uh, Sudden Death with Van Damme, which, which also reunites him with Raymond J. Barry. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, but this time it's the flip side. The Powers Booth is the villain and he's, uh, like, the quote-unquote good guy, uh, Raymond J. Barry. Um, and so, like, yeah, like, especially his chemistry with uh, Brendan Lee. I love that car scene where they're, they're in the car uh, driving to uh, uh, Raymond J. Barry character's house. And um, he's like, I've been after this son of a bitch for 10 years. And Brendan's like, why? Why? Because it's my job. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> it's like... <laughs> the, uh... I, the fact that they were going to make a sequel to this is weird because when I was a kid, I thought this was a huge hit. Honestly, they, they pushed it so hard. In, in, in This is really when I was just starting to become aware of box office. But it only made $14 million, and yes, it was big on video. I mean, was it massive on video? Is that why they were going to do a sequel? Because it was supposed to be Simon Says, right, which became uh, Die Hard of the Vengeance, yeah. if I'm correct. Yeah, yes. Yeah, Simon Says was initially supposed to be Rapid Fire 2. I, I actually think first uh, Jonathan Hensley wrote it as a spec script, and then they took that because 20th Century Fox uh, um, owned the rights to the script, and they were going to fashion it into Rapid Fire 2. And then uh, uh, Brandon died, um, so that's when they refashioned it into um, a Die Hard sequel. Okay. Yeah, because I was wondering, because, you know, most yeah. movies that usually don't make a whole lot of money back then, unless they blew up on video, were like, well, we'll do a direct-to-video one, but with a whole different cast. You know how they did with, like, Excessive Force and uh, Red Scorpion? You know, they're yeah. bare, tangentially connected to the original, at best. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, uh, like, like the Bloodfest series? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's weird because it has the same star for every single one of them. That doesn't make any sense to me at all. <laughs> Considered a minor success, but uh, I think yeah, it did 
extremely well on video, which is where people were like, oh, you know, the studio was like, okay, we could, we could, you know, make something else out of this. And, the, and plus, you know, that was at the time where martial arts movies were still big. Like, you know, 20th Century Fox was looking to get into the martial arts business because uh, they did Rapid Fire, and then, of course, they released Best of the Best 2 a couple months later. That's true, yeah. Um, they had done Marked for Death before this. Yeah, so they were definitely looking to get, like, you know, they saw, like, you know, all the money that Van Damme and Seagal movies were making, and they was like, hey, we want in on this. You know, everybody else is getting in on this. Like, let's get in on this, too. You know, of course, let's get the, the son of Bruce Lee to, to, to lead his own action movie. And, you know, that worked out. It didn't work as well out with uh, when they released Best of the Best, too. But, you know, that's neither here nor there. Yeah, that, that always disappoints me. And, uh... <laughs> Uh, half these movies, like later, they go to a different owner, so you never know if you're ever going to see it on Blu-ray or digital. So that's always kind of hard. But um, at least, at least, Rapid Fire is available digitally. But was it um, Twilight Time? That Blu-ray is worth a fortune, and I hope that someone else re-releases it. But with Fox being owned by Disney and Disney Disney being real stingy with you know releasing stuff. Oh yeah. Urgh, it's just yeah. Yeah. Yeah, my, my buddy, my buddy Matt Sari was just talking about that, you know, it was like, you have all these companies releasing movies instead of uh, Rapid Fire, which was, you know, successful and, you know, has done well, you know what I'm saying? Twilight Time was the, was the one that saw the vision, and I'm glad I, I got it with, uh, I got it with, uh, right before it went out of print for Twilight Time, and uh, I got it on sale for, for a good price from Twilight Time. But, uh, like, yeah, the, the, those second-hand markets where you find it, like, on eBay and shit for, like, God knows how much is just fucking just awful. Yeah, especially if it's not available digitally. Some of these are so hard to get. Um, Emperor of the North, come on. I want to find this somewhere. <laughs> I should have got it when I had the chance. Um, all right, so our fourth and final film is Under Siege, the big dog of the year, I think, action-wise, and turned uh, a guy who was red hot into a megastar <laughs> and burned his bridge <laughs> fucking immediately <laughs> I've never yeah, seen a rise yeah, that like, fast and crash so hard <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah like like yeah it was that was truly the peak of Seagal cause uh right after that it was just it all came crashing down like you know, it, you know like you said you never seen someone get so high and then just immediately just dive bomb into just fucking just you know, because right after that was, what, what was it, fucking On Deadly Ground? Yep. Where the, yeah, he burned all his bridges. And then just, he never recovered. He absolutely never recovered. They even tried, you know, they were like, hey, we, maybe we can rebound with Under Siege 2. Nope. The yeah. Man, nope. Yeah. Fire down below. Nope. <laughs> and they gave them decent budgets. And it's so funny is that this one's so efficient and so well made, and it was only $25 million. And he's not the only star in this. I mean, they got... I mean, yeah, Tommy Lee Jones wasn't huge yet. This basically made him a star, but it's got Busey and every other person in this movie is like, I know that guy. That's a you know one of those little reliable character actors. This thing is loaded to the gills, which kind of is a trend with these movies for Seagal. It's, it seems yeah. like he surrounded himself with really great uh, character actors to help boost himself up. Yeah, yeah, the producers feel like he, he can't act worth a damn, so we're going to surround him with people who can act, so, like, we can just focus on his fighting and shit, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah, they did that his whole career, like, like, like his whole career, like, especially just from above the law, because you surround him with Pam Greer and Henry Silva, uh, above the law, um, um, Hard to Kill with uh, William Sadler. 
I think is the, the best cast. Well, uh, on Deadly Ground. Yeah, on Deadly Michael Ground Kane is insane is, with that cast. Yeah, the, the Michael Caine, John C. McGinley, um, Joan Chen, like, yeah. But, like, yeah, you had Tommy Lee Jones, Gary Busey, Eric Deleniak, um... Uh, Damien Chappell. Who I thought, honestly, I, I would have bet you a million bucks Damien Chappell was going to be a star. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, at least he was Miklo in uh, Blood In, Blood Out. So yeah, but that's that. like the next year. But like um, after yeah, after like, Street Fighters, nothing happened with him. He started doing direct video movies. like, aw. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, um, yeah, he, he, he definitely, you know, had a good... Um, Yeah, he's um, an actor's director. Just, yeah, yeah, yeah. And an efficient action director, too. Like, uh, you have uh, Code of Silence, you know, Chuck Norris, uh, The Package, also with Tommy Lee Jones and yeah. Gene Hackman. The, the Package is like um, the greatest dad movie ever. Which one? The Package, to me, is like the greatest dad movie ever made. I, I It's my favorite. <laughs> live or die by the details how factual is this you know and how uh you know they're just not like sidestepping this just to keep the movie going uh, i don't know how much jf lawton wrote and how much andrew davis was able to work with like specialists and consultants to make sure that it lined up and andrew davis does like you said he always seems like a very technical director not in the way that he films in the details that he's presenting to you that they're believable That's that's the curse. You, you and I talked about it before. The curse of that section of '96, where like 20 action movies all bombed right in a row, and they're almost every single one of them are worthy. It's just late summer. You open against the Olympics, back when people cared about the Olympics, and just for months there was like this bomb too, this too. Holy shit! Every week there was a good movie that tanked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. '96 was such a 
great fucking years. I, like that's the year where like you know I think I came into my own as like an action connoisseur fan. Is '96 and '96 really just you know not not just like action movies in the theater, but like director video action movies at that time. That's where PM Entertainment was at its height. Um, so '96 was such a great fucking year. Yeah, it's it and it's right before. Well, that's what we're talking about '92. Yeah, but I'm just curious because actually we do have those waves. 88 it changed, 92 it changed, 96. Like every four years there's a new thing because 96 is when, you know, the Kung Fu stuff started coming. And then, of course, you have 2000 and all the post-Matrix thing happened. So it actually does change massively like every four years. Because look at the difference between 1984 and 1988 in action movies and 1984 and 1980. <laughs> yeah, yeah, most definitely. Most definitely. But uh, I think that's the end of our episode. Um, of the four, what, what is your favorite? I think we both agreed, Rapid Fire. Oh, yeah, definitely Rapid Fire. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I, I, I love each and every one of the um, four movies, but, yeah, Rapid Fire is the one that sits on top. All right, so we'll be back as... It takes a while to get through these episodes, honestly, everybody, because so, every year there's more movies that are better than I expected. Um so the next uh, time we'll talk again is probably a couple months from now. We'll be doing Demolition Man, Dragon, uh, The Bruce Lee Story, Nemesis, and Sniper. I do like to throw in a movie that wasn't exactly like mainstream. And it's not, uh, 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 Nemesis is definitely going to be that one. Oh, yeah. I love Nemesis. But I'll, I'll save that for when we actually talk about it. Yeah. All right. So um, where can we find you on the interwebs and podcast worlds? Uh, of course. You can find me at the... Uh, Cinema Drunkie, you can find me at the Cinema Drunkie on Twitter. Uh, you can find my show. Uh, you could my, my new show, my baby. You could have been the Blood Fist movie. Uh, it's a podcast where uh, we discuss action movies and then break down how that action movie could have been uh, part of the Blood Fist series, starring uh, Don the Dragon Wilson. Uh, you can find uh, the Twitter for that at Blood Fist Pod. I just put out an episode today at the time of this recording where we talked uh, the 2020 Scott Atkins movie Seized. Okay, and everybody knows where you can find us, Twitter, Facebook, and podcast host as Hit Rewind. Uh, that's it. Everybody, have a good night.